Daniel chapter 12. If you would find Daniel 12 with me, this is it, you guys. This is the conclusion. We already concluded it at first service, so, I mean, they're already done. But you guys aren't, so Daniel chapter 12. And we're going to pick up in verse 4. If you have a Bible app on your phone, pull that up. If you um, prefer a paper copy, go for that. And if you need one, there's a couple over on the table at the entry. Um, But find Daniel chapter 12 regardless, and let's study through this final section of the text together. This vision that Daniel's receiving in chapter 12 that's going to conclude here and this interaction between himself and this um, angel that will then become three separate angels that are going to interact with him here. Um, this vision began back in chapter 10. And you guys may remember from back there that we, we kind of called out and said, this is the closing section, but it's going to span three chapters. And so as we've been going through these passages, the vision concludes in verse 3. Uh, with the prophetic message that this angel reveals to Daniel from God, uh, bearing a message of four centuries of history that was predicted. Nearly four centuries of history that Daniel had not seen yet, that we can look back at, are so accurately predicted by God through this angel that so many scholars have stumbled upon this text and said this has to be pseudo-history. In other words, it has to be a historical account that's being given through prophetic form, but after the fact because it's just too accurate, because a perfect God can't deliver his word perfectly to his people before it happens, which immediately just, just demeans the character and the nature of God. It's funny, I was sharing with someone yesterday, we were talking about resurrection, and, and we were talking about how people struggle with the Christian faith because of resurrection. They're like, well, I would believe it, but the, the thing that's the most difficult for me to wrap my mind around is that God could take someone who's dead and bring them back to life again. It just, nothing else seems so impossible to me. And I, as I was talking to this guy, I said, you know, what's fascinating to me is that resurrection is not the most impressive thing that God has done. The most impressive thing that God has done is something from nothing. God created from zero, no matter He created everything you've seen from nothing. And a God who can create something from nothing can bring the something that he created back from dead. He can do that. And so resurrection isn't technically the, the, the craziest trick in God's bag. And he's got a crazy bag of tricks. God can do what he wants. But when we look at the amazing things God has done, something from nothing is by far the most amazing thing. And if people are willing to believe that there is a God who created, then you can believe in a God who can bring the dead back from the grave. And so as we look at the things that we've seen that God has done, foretelling future events, we look at the historical record and go, that's so incredible that he gave this to Daniel before those four centuries of history from the Persian kings all the way to Antiochus Epiphanes and the Maccabean revolt about 165 BC, all the way into the Roman era just before Christ came. And now we looked at last week, most closely to us, we looked at the forthcoming prophecies of the Antichrist, things that haven't happened yet, but will. And we talked about all of those last week. And so we look at the past. We go, God has perfectly predicted through prophecy. Say that five times fast. Perfectly, perfectly prophecy. He's perfectly predicted all these things through prophetic record. Why would we not trust him and believe him when he says this is yet to come? When God says this is what's coming next, he's never been wrong. I'm going to trust the one who has never been wrong. And that's God. And so we talked about the Antichrist last week, his rise to power, his sinfulness, and his final defeat. And the revelation ends with a promise of resurrection and encouragement of the followers of God to shine and lead the lost to righteousness. Those that believe in God, that follow the Lord, that listen to the Lord, that submit themselves to him will shine like the stars in the heavens and will lead many to righteousness. That's our calling. That's what we're here to do. Lead many to righteousness. And we do so by submitting ourselves to God. We'll get into that more in depth this morning. As we study these last few verses here, and this is a short section in this chapter, which means I get to talk a lot at the front. I'm just kidding, but I could, and I probably will a little bit. I just went back on what I said before. You guys recognize we should stop for a minute and consider Daniel. If we're going to close the book of Daniel, we should consider the man. Consider Daniel and the life that he lived in his circumstances. Daniel was taken from his home as a teenager. He was taken away violently from his home as he saw what Nebuchadnezzar did to the temple. Many thousands of Jews died. Many were taken into exile. Many were scattered. And as the Babylonians took over, Daniel was transferred into a foreign land as a teenager. I don't know if you can imagine that, but try. 
Try and imagine being taken from the place that you love, your homeland, being a young man who loved the Lord and being put into a pagan, horrifically um, brutal culture and being conformed and pressed to conform to that culture. And what's interesting about Daniel is rather than bemoaning his circumstances, rather than crying about it, rather than going on about how terrible his life was, we saw Daniel study. We saw Daniel fast. We watched him pray. We watched him receive visions and interpret dreams. And we watched Daniel become an image of God's character, of God's ability as a man in exile that was living a Christ-like picture out in front of foreign kings. Do you think Daniel had an impact on the culture around him? We only need to remember Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan and one of the most egotistical characters in the Old Testament. And I think we'll meet Nebuchadnezzar in heaven someday. I think Nebuchadnezzar gave his life to the Lord after his experience of grazing. You know, crawling around on all fours with his fingernails all clawed out and his back like dew. All hairy and gross. You would not want to go out with him. But he broke and he finally recognized who God was. And Nebuchadnezzar said, now I exalt and I praise the God of the heavens. Do you realize that God used Daniel to work that in Nebuchadnezzar's life? If God can use Daniel to bring Nebuchadnezzar to his knees, then there is nothing our God cannot do through us in this culture, in this time. There is no one who is too far gone for him. So the question is, was Daniel made from different stuff than we are? Was there something about Daniel that, that he was made up of some kind of, you know, physical attribute of Daniel? Was he especially good looking? You know, was he super strong? I mean, sometimes you read about Joseph in the Bible and you're like, man, that guy had it all, you know, thrown in the well, thrown in prison, but at least he was gorgeous. You know, so the Bible said, now Joseph was, it says that he's like, he was good looking in face and form. The guy had it all. You know, that's why Potiphar's life's like, wow. But guys, remember that only brought him trouble. So, like, I, some, someone just turned it off on Facebook. They're like, I can't listen to this guy anymore. <laughs> you guys, but you realize that, like, there's nothing that physically God had given to Daniel that we don't have. He was a sinner just like us. Now, God may have given him gifts, but God had not given him anything that we can't have relationally between the Lord, and God can use us in the same ways if we follow after the attributes and the things that Daniel did. And the question is this, do we get caught up in looking at the physical when we want to emulate somebody? Do we get caught up in looking at what they're doing and say, well, if I just repeat the steps of Daniel, if I just adopt the Daniel diet, right? I'm just going to go and eat like Daniel did at the, you know, in Daniel chapter one. That's not what that's there for. It wasn't about the dietary plan. You know, if, you, if you're eating the Daniel diet to be holy, you will only be hungry, like, it's not that, it's what's behind it. It's the reason that he did it. He did that so that he could separate himself unto the Lord. If you're fasting just because you know it's the right thing to do, that's not the right reasoning. We fast because it separates us spiritually unto God and puts our flesh in discipline. In other words, it's putting our spiritual in a primary spot saying, I'm going to honor God and my body is going to submit to that. It's a physical way for us to live that out. That's why fasting has value. If you're doing it for another reason, I, I just want you to consider that. Fasting has value if it's a spiritual submission unto God. Which is why Daniel said, I don't want to drink the king's wine. I don't want the juicy meats from his table. He's like, I'll eat the vegetables and drink the water. Right? Naturally, I want to look at the physical things that he does and, and, and like be like, okay, how do I kind of position myself to be used like Daniel? But the point of it is, if we want to be used like Daniel, it has to begin in the heart. It has to be a spiritual submission to God. So what was Daniel within that we can learn from? Well, honestly, it's very simple. Daniel made a choice. It came down to making a choice, and Daniel made a choice. It's best described by Moses as he spoke to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 through 20. Moses said this, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. You think it's an easy choice, right? Well, that's simple. I would like death and curses, please. No, that's like no one wants that, right? That's an easy choice. He says, now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make 
And notice Moses get very emphatic here. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Can you feel the leadership of Moses here as he's imploring the next generation? This is the next generation of Israelites who are going to take possession of the land. Deuteronomy means second law. This is the reading of the law into the next generation's ears as he sends them across the Jordan and Moses doesn't get to go with them. At the beginning of Deuteronomy, he's like, it's your fault. I don't get to go with you. You know, he's like, I, God's not letting me go in. Now, we know why Moses messed up. And God's like, no, you don't get to enter the promised land. But Moses is imploring this generation, choose life. Choose life so that your descendants might live. And in verse 20, he says, you can make this choice. Here's the choice that's before you. Don't you love when the Bible describes what he's saying? You're like, Moses, what is it? What, what must we choose? You know, it's just like my children. Father, tell us. What must we choose to live? Don't disobey your mother, son, and you will live. Surely you will live. Choose life, right? This is what it says, verse 20. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. Do you want to know Daniel's secret? It's in Deuteronomy 30, 20. You can make this choice, the choice that he made to love God above anything else and to obey him and commit yourself firmly to him. And that was the key to what God did through his life. He committed himself fully to God. He gave himself completely. At the very beginning, we saw him choose to love God over the gods of the Babylonians. Any position given, any riches offered. And from the very beginning of exile, God gave him and his friends extraordinary wisdom and understanding. They had extraordinary wisdom to where the other guys were not even compared to them because God was pouring out on them because he intended to use them in exile. Daniel committed himself to God firmly his whole life. And it was the key to the work that God did through him. Do you want to be used by God? I hope you do. I hope it's not like, I kind of want to do my own thing. When it comes to blessing and curses, I mean, some curses sound kind of nice. They don't. They don't. They're not good. They're horrible. You don't want any of that. You want to be blessed by God. And here's the thing. That doesn't mean he's going to make it rain. All the young people know what I'm talking about. That doesn't mean you're going to get all the money. That doesn't mean you're going to get all the prestige, all the fame, all the glory. What it means when you're blessed by God is that he is going to use you and fulfill the purpose that he placed you here for that he has put you in this life to fulfill. And that's exactly what we want. So when we commit ourselves to God, he will bless us. And remember, that may not look like what you think, but it will look exactly the way that God thinks, and that's better. It is so much better that God works his will out through my life than the one that I want for myself. Because just a heads up for young people and for people who've lived long enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Look back at what you wanted when you were younger and tell me that it was the right thing for you. Do you know what I want? I want what God wants. Because only he has the vision to see what the calling and the purpose of my life is. And I am terrible at deciding what's good for me. I am terrible at doing that. God is the best at it. Let him decide. Let him be the one that leads. And as Daniel nears the end of his life, and as we near the end of this book, there should be some sobriety here amongst us. There should be some sober-mindedness. Because we need to be aware, not only of the brevity of our lives, but we need to be aware of the times that we live in. We need to be aware of how short our lives are, but we need to be aware of the time that we've been placed in. Because if I'm going to use, it is short. It's not forever. If I'm going to use the short time span that I've been given here, well, I need to understand what God has called me to do right here in 2021. I need to understand what it is God's asked me to do. And I think there's keys here to that. And I think it starts with the commitment that we talked about here at the opening. But I think what we see is told to Daniel here will put us on the right path to apply this to our lives. There's within this text a very applicable perspective. And it's, it's almost like one last little gem out of Daniel before we move on to a new text. I don't know about you guys. I'm sorry to see it go. I'm sorry to see Daniel go. I have been so blessed to study through this. I hope that you guys have been encouraged and learned as much as I have because I'm walking away from this being like, wow, 
I really don't know a lot. God has taught me so much through this text. And so that's just the beauty of studying the word of God. Verse 4 of chapter 12. Let's close this thing out. We'll read down through verse 7 initially, and then we'll go bit by bit. Daniel speaking to this angel. The angel is speaking to him at this point. But you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and two others were standing there, one on this bank of the river and one on the other. One of them said to the man dressed in linen who is above the water of the river, how long until the end of these wondrous things? Then I heard the man dressed in linen who is above the water of the river. He raised both his hands toward heaven and swore by him who lives eternally that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. When the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. We'll come back to that, but did you hear how that statement ended? That's not exactly what you want to hear. In a worldly mindset, as I'm just reading that, it's like, that's not what you want to hear. When the power of the holy people is shattered, again, you understand that Daniel's hearing this through the ears of a, of, a, of a Jew. An Israelite, he hears this through the ears of his people. When our people are shattered, then it's going to come. That's difficult to hear. Imagine hearing that of your people. Imagine hearing that as a parent. The brokenness of your children will bring about the final change. I don't want to see that. I don't want to deal with that. That rips your guts out. That's difficult. But there's hope that's within it, and that's what we have to see. Beginning in verse 4 and kind of working our way through, although it's possible that Daniel is told to keep this vision a secret, an alternative rendering of the Hebrew, if you look at it, is close, close up the words and seal the book. Close up the words and seal the book, which is a reference to preservation of the text of Daniel until the time of the end. But there's a way to understand this, whether he meant keep it a secret or he meant keep it safe. Keep it secret, keep it safe. It could be both. But here's the thing. Either way, Jesus references the book of Daniel in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, when he's talking about the abomination of desolation. Jesus, as he's explaining some of the things that are going to come later down the road, he's speaking of the abomination of desolation, which connects to Daniel 9, verse 27. It connects to Daniel eleven thirty one, and to here in chapter 12 and verse 11 shortly. So the abomination of desolation is connected to Daniel, and Jesus is talking about it openly as he teaches. So what does that mean? The book has been opened. No matter what for us, it's unsealed. The secret's out. Jesus is talking about it. I get to read it. And Jesus had been reading the book of Daniel and teaching about it. And so when we see these things, some people are like, well, should we not read the book of Daniel? It's in the Bible. You should be reading the book. Clearly, I believe that we should be reading the book of Daniel. I spent like the last like eight months on this thing, right? Like clearly this is something we need to be reading. But when you see something like that, some people will react. It's like, understand what it's trying to describe. It's a way to preserve the text. And even if it was something that was to be sealed up till the end, if Jesus is talking about it, we're in the end. We're in the end times. And that's the thing that I, that we struggle with, I think, the most. Because if Jesus is talking about it nearly 2,000 years ago, and we're 2,000 years later, like, how could Jesus be talking about the end times when that was so long ago? Well, it comes down to a matter of perspective, doesn't it? We live in a society, currently, that is used to two-day Amazon delivery. Right? Well, I'm a Prime member, which means I get my stuff now. You know? You just have to wait weeks for things. Now it's two days. And if it's late, I'm on my little tracker. Where is it? Yeah. Out for delivery. When? Now. Right? We want that. Who else wants drone delivery? I mean, it's, they're going to be doing this. You're like, a little drone's going to show up and drop your package. You know, like, I don't know how that's going to work, but I hope they're really on top of it because they're going to kill people if they're not careful with this. And you shouldn't be a drone snatcher either. Because that's coming to my mind. Like, if it gets low enough, can I grab the Amazon drone and be like, <laughs> you know, and then let it fly off? And the guy's like, I hate sending things to this dude's house. Every time he grabs the drone, we have to change out the rotors. Here's the thing. We are so used to the end or something being now as being right now. How does God view the end? What does scripture say about the end? Let me just throw something at you that's fun. Moses, we're going to talk Moses again, twice in one sermon. Can you believe it? Psalm 90 was written by Moses. Did you know that? Super fun. Great Psalm. Psalm 90 verse four says for you, Moses speaking a thousand years, he's speaking to God for you. A thousand years are as a passing day as brief as a few night hours. 
Suffice it to say, God sees time very differently than we do. Why? Because he's spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. Because God is outside of time. Because God is the creator of time. And so him being outside of time, he sees it differently. And so when he sees the end times, what does God mean when he says the end times? Church, I don't think he sees it as number of years. I think he sees it as where we are after Christ. I think he sees it as to where Jesus was and what he has done and what comes next. Therefore, this era, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus to return. We're waiting for the return of Christ. And if we're waiting for the return of Christ, we are in the end times. And as Jesus taught about the end times and quoted from Daniel, it's been opened. It's now. Now, this gets confusing for us, and I think it's because of something that um, James Montgomery Boyce said this really well. This is what confuses us. Every age has characteristics of the last days, and believers are always to live until the end comes. We see the characteristics. And the reason I point this out is because the apostles thought Jesus was returning soon in their day, and they talked about it. I think John says it several times in, in his letter in First John. He's like, for the Lord is coming soon. Jesus is coming back soon. He thought it was going to be then. They thought they would see him again. Why? Because nothing stands in the way. And every age has characteristics of the last days. And believers are not to focus so much. It's You look at the signs of the times, but we are to focus on those things. We are supposed to live until the end comes. We are called here to live, not to stare at the sky our entire lives and miss out on what God's doing here. He placed us here for a reason. He put us here with a mission. And the mission wasn't to ignore everyone else and try and catch that moment when he comes in the sky. In fact, when he comes, I would be very, very disappointed in myself if he didn't catch me working. I want him to find me working. Not like, you know, sawing a piece of wood. Maybe that's the work I'll have to do, but doing what he put me here to do. We talked and we took that little aside a couple weeks back and looked at Nehemiah 6. Remember the mindset of Nehemiah? Sam Ballot sends the message, come, let's have a little conference in the Valley of Ono. And Nehemiah is like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> but he, he tells him no, right? He says, no way. I'm not going to meet you there. Why? Nehemiah said, God has given me this work to do, and I'm going to do it. Sam Ballot, Tobiah, Geshem, they start throwing all this crud around about him, send out this open letter that he's, you know, basically has an uprising against the king going on. And what does Nehemiah do? Does he run around and prove himself? Does he run across the wall and go, don't listen to anything these guys are saying. I'm innocent. What does he do? Uh, what you're saying is lies and I have work to do. Peace. And he gets back to work because God sent him to do something and he is going to be faithful to do it. It's a picture and an example for us. Church, don't get caught up in distractions. Listen, we don't ignore that things are going on. We observe it. We call it what it is and we get back to work. We get back to what God put us here to do because when he comes, may he find his church doing exactly what he put us here to do. Winning souls to the kingdom, making disciples, reconciling people to him. That's what he's put us here to do. May he find us working and not just wasting away. The apostles believed that he was coming in their time. I believe Jesus is returning soon still, and they would agree with me. If John was standing right here, or Peter, who would probably look a lot like me and talk a lot like me, I would imagine, because Peter and I both had foot and mouth syndrome. But if Peter was standing here and I said, so Peter, do you think that Jesus is coming soon? He would say, yeah, he would agree. Why? Because it's any time the church is supposed to live that way. Jesus is coming soon. We live in that preparation and our life isn't to be wasted. It may be tempting to read the second half of verse four. As we look at this text, keep the word sealed, seal the book until the time of the end. Sometimes we look at the second half of verse 4, which says many will roam about and knowledge will increase. We look at that and we get a little bit caught up in what's going on in our culture. I've heard some people teach us and say, like, well, this is obviously technology and people are learning more and they're more knowledgeable now. I would actually say there are cultures that were so much smarter than us that they didn't need their smartphones to calculate things. They used to use rocks. They used to use their heads. Some people are like, oh, we're so much more intelligent, so much more learned. No, we're not. 
We rely on our technology. It's, it's a crutch. We've been able to put some things together that work for us and make life easier, but we're not getting smarter, stronger, or healthier because of it. We're actually tearing our bodies apart more and making our brains function less. We're not smarter than people were in ages past. So what's he talking about here? What I believe this is saying is the many will roam about is they're seeking for answers. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. I think that what he's talking about here is people are roaming about. They're searching for answers to what's going on and knowledge will increase is an implication that those whose knowledge will increase are those who look to the word of God to find it. Those who look to the word of God to understand what is going on in our culture. Many will roam about seeking the answers that can be found here in the book of Daniel. And we're to search the scriptures from cover to cover to understand and better prepare ourselves for the days that we live in. Church, are we trying to run around gaining worldly knowledge to better understand how to be a good person? Or are we roaming from page to page in our Bible looking for God's wisdom? I would ask you this. I know a lot of people have spent decades now searching the world for answers. And do you know how satisfied and full of joy they are? I know people who spend so much time in their Bibles, it makes me embarrassed of how much time I spend there. And do you know how much peace they have? Do you know how settled they are and how they are finding answers and comfort and joy and peace in Christ? Because God's word is the wisdom that we need. God's word is the wisdom that we need. He's given it to us. We have it in our hands. And while the world seeks to increase their understanding apart from God, we find the ultimate wisdom is in God. It's in him. He's the one that we should be looking to. Why roam around when we can search his word and we can do the work that he's given us and fulfill the purpose that we've been put here for? Proverbs 9.10 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Respecting and honoring God is the beginning of wisdom and looking to God for wisdom is what we should do. There's a picture of this in Amos chapter 12. I love reading the prophet Amos because he's prophesying over the northern nation of Israel. And as Amos is prophesying, he's prophesying basically a lot of punishment that's going to come on them for rejecting God and being idolatrous. But he says this in Amos 8.12, People will stagger from sea to sea and roam from north to east, seeking the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. We can find it. We have it before us. You don't have to run around trying to figure out what your life is all about. God has given you the answers. Now, we'll talk about the details that we get frustrated with later because you may not have the detail level that you want. Daniel doesn't. He's going to get like, hey, don't understand over here. He's going to say that in a minute. But what I'm talking about is if there's no sin issue that you're wondering about right now that God hasn't revealed whether it's right or wrong in his word. There's nothing in his words like, well, I really don't know if this is a sin. I guess I'll just do it and see if God whacks me for it. There's, we don't have that excuse at all. None of us do. He's made it clear. God has made it clear how we should live in this generation with the life that he's given us. And let us not roam around this world looking for the wisdom and inspiration that only the word of God will provide us. We don't have to run around looking for it. It's not hidden. God isn't hiding from us. He's right here. And it's good to visit many good books. Don't get me wrong. I love reading and I read all kinds of literature written by all kinds of people. But I like to visit many good books and live in my Bible. I got that from Spurgeon. He said, visit many good books, but live in your Bible. And it's great for us to travel and see the world if you can, but reside in the presence of God through prayer. Realize that all that we need is right here. Every time, I've been to the Western Wall three times. And I've described this to you guys before. The Jews pray at the Western Wall because they believe it's the closest they can get to God. It's the closest to the Holy of Holies with their estimation of where the temple would have been, the Holy of Holies being on the backside of the temple, Western Wall. That's why they pray there. And there's little papers that are stuffed all inside the wall with their prayers on them. And I've prayed the same prayer at the Western Wall three times. And you know what it was? I'll share it with you. If I go again, I'll pray it again. If they ever let me in the country again. Every single time I've been there, I put my hand on the wall and said, Lord, thank you that this isn't the only place I can be close to you. Because God's presence is the same here as it is there. The filling of the Holy Spirit doesn't get more powerful there than it is here. God is with us. 
His Holy Spirit fills us now. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to pray. You can pray to him right here, and he hears you just as well here as he will there. It's not about a location. It's not about a building. It's about the Lord and his presence. Verse 5, don't worry, I'm going to move faster, I promise. Two more angels are now present. Did you notice that? Verse 5, he says he looked and two others were standing there, one on this bank and one on the other. So two more angels are present besides the angel who's delivering the vision. That began in chapter 10, verse 5. The reason I think this matters is it's just cool to see God kind of go about his things in his own way and, and confirm other parts of Scripture. In Deuteronomy 19, there's a bit there in verse 15 about um, the case or a case of a vision, is, or in this case a vision, um, is established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And here God's confirming his word with multiple witnesses of angelic realm. This is a significant vision, very significant considering what it contains. He's like, this is true. All these angels are here saying, this is true. This is what God has said, and it's going to happen. One angel then asks another, how long? And the response given is that the time of struggle will last time, times, and half a time, which is three and a half years, or half the seven-year tribulation timeline. So you're talking about the second half. We'll clarify that in just a second as well. We saw that in the vision of Daniel 7 as well. And then at the very end of verse 70 says, when the power, this will end when the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. So when their power is shattered, then it's going to be completed. How will it be completed? Zechariah 12. Verse 10, speaking directly to this moment. And I read this last week, but I wanted to read it again. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. In other words, they're going to look and see Jesus. He's the one that's going to complete it. Now, did you, as it's hard because we've, Many of us have been in Bible studies much of our lives, and we've heard all about Jesus, and we know the story of crucifixion and all these things, and we hear it through that lens. Zechariah 12 was written long before that. Long before that, speaking of the times of the end that have not happened in our lifetime, and in that time, before Jesus had come, they will look at him whom they pierced. We understand it because we've seen Christ, but imagine reading it back then and then being like, him whom they've pierced, let alone Isaiah 53. You know, let alone the other passages of Scripture that talk about the suffering of the Savior, the suffering of the Messiah. But here, the one that they have pierced, so directly correlating to Jesus before he even came. Yet another prophecy that speaks both of the far-off end and of the truth of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. How did Daniel handle all of this? How did Daniel do, How do you retain it when God tells you to do something? Do you retain it? Do you understand it? Look at Daniel. If you want to feel good about confusion, which I'm confused an awful lot. My wife can attest to this. I'm confused all the time. I love Daniel. Daniel, you can memorize this one. Not just you, Daniel, but everyone in the room. Daniel 12, 8. I heard but did not understand. Ah, It makes me feel so much better. That men of God in their 80s, and it's not because I don't understand. He doesn't, he doesn't understand what's being told. He's like, this is a lot. I don't get it. This has nothing to do with his age. He is a, mat- a mature, wise believer in God. And he's like, I don't get it. What? I mean, the message version probably says, what? I heard, but did not understand. So I asked my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? He's like, Could you give me a little more information? Have you ever felt that way with God? Okay, that's great. Little more information, please. I don't get it. The response, look at verse 9. Go on your way, Daniel. For the words are secret and sealed until the end of time. Okay. You're like, how do you receive that? That's tough. That's a tough one. Because a lot of times we want those details and we feel like we should have them. The angel says, go on your way. Do you notice the angel's like, we don't have any more. Fresh out. That's it. I don't know if they're just not sharing or if they don't even know themselves, but they're like, that's it, dude. That's all we got. You know, there's nothing else. There's no more. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Church, 
it's okay not to understand all that God is doing. That's okay. You don't have to be freaked out by it, and neither do I. We have to remind ourselves of this, by the way, because I'm going to get freaked out about it later. So you need to remind, Mike, we don't have to understand. It's okay. Now, this isn't, like, again, I, I mentioned this earlier, this isn't on issues of sin. God has made us clear. But God has this situation. He has our future. He knows why we're here and what he put us here for. We don't have to freak out when we don't have details. He hasn't left us wondering what we can or can't do in this life. He's left us in this place of not knowing in a lot of ways, for me at least, what the next step is. And that's where faith comes in. That's where my faith is built is when I say, Lord, I'm walking with you and and this looks like the next thing. And we take that step of faith. And by the way, he's a good father who loves his kids, which means he's not going to whack us when we're just trying to glorify him with our lives. You make a mistake. He's like, no, over here. No, not that direction. He led the apostles. He'll lead us. Some things are going to make sense, you guys, but we won't have to wonder if what we're doing is sin or not. We may wonder the direction. We may wonder about the path forward here. And what's awesome about that is we can actually celebrate it. We can celebrate the wonder of not being God in the way that Paul did in Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Look at this, because we've read this passage, one of my favorite portions of scripture. And oftentimes I've read this and been like, oh, what a wonderful moment of praise. Consider what Paul says in our own lives. Ready? Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Good so far. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. Getting concerning right? Uh, He just said unsearchable his judgments, untraceable his ways. That means he's above you. That means that he's infinite and you're finite. Want some more? For who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? We are dealing with something so much higher than us, a powerful being so much above us that we are going to wonder at what he's doing. And that's good. There's glory in that because from, for him, for from him, through him, to him are all things and to him be the glory. So that means that what he's doing that I don't understand is going to bring him glory and that my clumsy little methods of my own need to go out the window because my ways are not his ways. His ways are higher and I can trust him. One of the greatest deceptions of the enemy is to try and put into our ears that we actually can wrap our minds around God and wrap our minds around his ability, his power, his majesty. We can taste it, but we cannot wrap our minds around it. And the reason why the enemy wants to get us going in that direction is because the second that we think we have it, we are making ourselves like him. We just made an idol of ourselves. We just made a God of ourselves. So accept humbly the position that we have, that God is higher, that he's able to do things that I can't. In the meantime, when we're in that place of wondering, and while we're in this generation especially, I think we see this, the wicked will continue being wicked. The wicked will go on and do wickedness. But church, we are the ones who God has called and we are the ones reaching out to the world and calling them to be reconciled to him for this purpose, to be purified, cleansed, and refined by the testing of our faith so that we have endurance for the days we live in with maturity being completed by the Holy Spirit and the day of Christ Jesus as James talks about in chapter 1 and Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 1. All these passages, it says, this is our life being cleansed, purified, sanctification, baby, all day long. We are growing, we're being purified, we're being refined. Now, sounds great on paper or tablet. Hurts in real life. How many of you, please don't raise your hands. How many of you are in a situation right now that is really testing you? It's really putting you through a fire. It's testing your endurance. It's testing the stance that you have with the Lord. It's testing your patience. It's putting you through all these things. You're like, I'm not going to make it endure Because the testing of your faith produces endurance. 
And James says, let endurance have its full effect so that you may be pure and complete. God is sanctifying us, church. And that means that we go into the furnace, not run away from it. By the way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't have gotten to talk to the Lord face-to-face unless they'd gone in the furnace. You want to meet the Lord face-to-face? That's where he is. That's where his power is made perfect in weakness, according to Paul. Don't avoid it. Steady on. Go your way. And I'm not saying your own way. You can go your own. Not that. I'm not talking about your way. When, when the angel tells Daniel, go on your way, he's going to tell him again at the very end. When he tells him that, he's not saying do what you want. Daniel has been walking with the Lord. Remember? Daniel's a man submitted. When he says go your way, he says keep on trucking, Daniel. Keep doing what you're doing. The Lord's with you. The Lord's with us in that. One more revelation is shown here. As we close up, verses 11 and 12, from the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Happy is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. Not too confusing. I think there's a simplistic explanation, but we obviously understand 1,290 days is three and a half years. So three and a half years, again, we're talking about that ending portion, the abomination of desolation that's going to happen halfway through the tribulation, three and a half years in, three and a half years more will elapse, and then things will end. But I think it's interesting that in verse 12, he says, happy is the one who waits for the 1,335 days. Those with you with quick math brains are like 45 days extra. That's weird. Not really a correlation in scripture for us to look at, except for... If you would consider, it's not solid, like this is absolutely knock it out of the park solid, but I think it's interesting to think about. In Matthew 25, 31 through 46, Jesus is talking about the end times, and he talks about the separation of the sheep from the goats. A process that's going to happen where these two unrighteous groups of people, unrighteous and righteous, are separated from each other. And we know the unrighteous are sent to punishment, And the righteous in Christ reign with him. The reason I point that out is it's the only time period that I see scripturally that may fit a 45-day period. And it's another reason why I would be happy as the man who reaches the end of those days. Who reaches the end of that period. I submit it to you. You can do your own study. That's okay. But I would say this. The point of it is not the amount of days. The point of it is in the amount of days and it isn't what it pertains to because at the end of those days, whoever reaches them is going to be living in the kingdom of Jesus. That's the point. The point is the kingship and the lordship of Jesus that he will rule and reign here. You don't have to wonder if you're living in the millennial reign. Is Jesus here? Okay, we're not in the millennial reign. Okay, this is Jesus ruling and reigning. This is him as king. And so happy are those because they'll be part of the most glorious world, which is governed by Christ Jesus. We are so dissatisfied with our human leadership, are we not? I am so dissatisfied with every human leader I've ever seen. You're like, what about King David? (laughs) No, thank you. How about Solomon? He started out good. Yeah, and then he train wrecked. We can go back and look through all the best kings that are out there. I'll take Jesus, thank you. He's the one I want. He's the one I want. And that's why it's happy is the one who reaches that because that's when Jesus takes over. Final verse, Daniel chapter 12. But as for you, the angel says to Daniel, go on your way to the end. You will rest and then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. Daniel's told to continue the journey until he rests, which is a picture of death. Okay, we connected that last week as we talked about that being in the passage at the end of chapter 11 and then continuing on to the beginning of chapter 12. We also talked about Lazarus as another picture of um, the kind of way the text will work as saying rest is a picture of death. Jesus talked about how Lazarus was resting and the disciples were like, great, he's going to get better. He's like, Lazarus is dead, you know, but we're going to go wake him up, right? So Daniel, he says, go on until you will rest, meaning he will die. And then he says, you will what? What does it say in the text? You'll rest and then you will stand. Dead people don't stand. What does that mean? He will be raised. Daniel will be raised. And this is what's so cool. 
He's going to receive his inheritance. The angel just told Daniel, you're not going to get to see this. You're going to die. But you'll stand and receive your inheritance. That's pretty cool. Resurrection. Church, what awaits us? Could it be rapture? Could it be physical death? Will we see the end? Will we see the rise of the Antichrist? It's funny because we talk about the end times we're like, clearly it's now. I mean, nothing has been more now than now. I agree with you. I think it is now. But don't get distracted. Don't get pulled away from what God put you here to do because you're so concerned about, is, it, is this it? Is this it? I'm going to read every theory I possibly can. Waste of time. Waste of time. Why? Because God said, go and make disciples. Jesus said, this is your commissioning. Go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul encourages in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I know I'm talking fast, but I can't resist it. He says, your job is to be ambassadors and the message that we bear is be reconciled to God. That's what we're here to do. We study the word of God. We look around us. We go, see all that? Just like Nehemiah. I see that. That's truth. That's not Got a wall to work on. I got gates to build. I got a job I've been put here to do. And our job is to say, come do this with me. You are lost in your sin. You are lost and you are heading for death, but Jesus can save you. And that's the message that we have and that we bear as we lead as many to righteousness as we possibly can by the power of his spirit. And here's what we do know. Here's what I know absolutely for certain about our lives. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God knows how many days you have and I have. He knew it before we were born. He wasn't an accident that you're here. You are not a molecular accident. You're not an explosion of nothing that just came to be and now all of a sudden, you well, here you are, so just have some fun. You were put here with a purpose and your days have been established already and God already knows whether your ending point is today or tomorrow or 50 years down the road. I'm really starting to doubt mine's 50 years down the road. I don't think I'm going to make it. My body's not holding up. But you guys, however many, he knows. He laid it out. Before a single day had passed. And it's not our place to know everything. It's our job to be faithful. Be faithful to walk with the Lord. It's it's Deuteronomy 30.20. Make this choice, church. Love the Lord your God. Obey him and commit yourself firmly to him. This is the key to our lives. And that's what Jesus said. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. Jesus said, this is what's been commanded of you. This is what's been told of you. So don't grow weary in doing good. In due season, we'll read. One final picture. And the worship team can come come up if they would like. And, and uh, you guys can hit the lights and get ready. Um, for those of you who are here, do you remember Daniel chapter 2? Daniel chapter 2 contained the vision of Nebuchadnezzar. The vision of Nebuchadnezzar of the statue, gold head, silver arms and chest, bronze bronze torso. He had iron legs and feet and toes that were iron mixed with clay. These different elements, right? And do you remember that stone that was chipped off or broken off, a, a picture of Jesus, that was thrown down and struck the feet, which was the end times, struck the feet of the statue and the whole thing crumbled to nothing? Do you guys remember that? Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 through 45. In the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and his kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. You saw a stone break off from the mountain without a hand touching it, and it crushed the iron, bronze, fired clay, silver, and gold. The great God has told the king what will happen in the future. The dream is certain, and its interpretation reliable. What's the message? We are going to receive a kingdom that is not shakable. And that's the kingdom of Jesus. And that's the kingdom that's coming. We're going to see all that the enemy can do through the Antichrist. But Jesus is going to return and set everything right. Let our hope and our satisfaction and our longing be for that kingdom. Because the God who called every shot in the future or in the past and in the future never misses. He's always right. 
He has never failed. And so church, would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And I want to encourage us through this final verse and then pray that we would stay the course, that we would go on to the end, and that we would worship as we hold the words of Hebrews 12, 28 as truth. And this is what it says in Hebrews 12, 28. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, let's listen to these words. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. The following verse, the writer says, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God consumes all the things that are made up of perishable, but those who are refined by him are purified by that fire. They're cleansed by it. And God, we, your church, Jesus, because of your sacrifice, we are made righteous. Nothing of our own, not one of us can boast, but it was a free gift. And so, Lord, we just want to worship you. We recognize when your word calls us to look at the unshakable kingdom of our Savior, Jesus, who returns soon, that we worship, and Lord, music is part of that, but it's a small part of it. Life is to be worshiped. My thoughts, my emotions, my actions, they all come together as part of that body of worship. And so, Lord, teach us to be worshipers of you in light of your coming kingdom. As we saw all throughout the book of Daniel, the kingdoms of men fail. They're built on perishable things. And sin has permeated us. But Lord, you have cleansed us and you have renewed us. You have made us whole. And so, Lord, encourage us to go on our way. Submitted to you, walking in obedience to whatever you have for us. What an encouraging thing for Daniel to hear. Complete the task. You'll receive your inheritance at the time. Jesus, that's what you've promised us. We'll receive the inheritance because of what you've done, not because of what we've done. And so thank you for that encouragement. Jesus, thank you for who you are. And Lord, as we have the ability, we worship you with song.